grace and peace to you from him who was and who is and who is to come, our Savior Jesus. Amen. About 30 years ago, NBC began a public service announcement style campaign called The More You Know. I realize it's a little dark on there, but maybe you can see the logo and maybe you go, oh, I've seen those commercials before. To educate, the goal was to educate more people about this issue or that topic. Because the idea behind it is that information is a good thing, right? And the, the more you know, what? There's always a, an unanswered question after that that I've always kind of wondered, right? The more you know, the better your life will be. The more you know, the better the world is. After all, we, we live in a world of unprecedented access to information. We have more opportunity to know more things now than ever before. We are consuming data at an unheard of rate. So if what makes life better, what makes the world better is, is more information, is more knowledge, well then you're living this super awesome life, right? And the world is this just great, pleasant, fantastic place where everybody just gets along and everything, everything goes smoothly. Right? No? Maybe not? So why, if we have this access to crazy amounts of information, if it's just flying at us, bombarding us constantly, why, why is our culture so pol polarized? Why is there more anxiety, more depression than ever? Why, if we have more knowing, why isn't your life better? Why isn't our, our world a better place? I don't necessarily think that the information is all the problem. Well, sometimes the information isn't, isn't great. But it's really more about what we do with that information how we receive it, and how we react to it. Let me give you an example. Maybe you're something like me. So I try to be a good dad, right? I, I love my kids. I try to give them structure, guidance, discipline, correction when needed, and give them opportunities. And I have a friend that sends Snapchats every single weekend, like dozens of them chronicling how epic every single weekend in their life is. All of the awesome things they do with their kids every weekend. And I'll be honest, most of my, most of most of my weekends is work. And it kind of makes me feel like a bad parent. Now, does that make me a bad parent? Well, I'd hope my kids would say no. But I'll be honest, it, it shakes my confidence. It makes me wonder, am I, am I not doing something I should? Am I missing out on opportunities? Am I depriving my kids of this? Am I shorting them on that? How, how come we don't do all of these amazing, epic adventures? Am I a failure? And maybe you felt the same, whether it's Snapchats or other social media, right? People posting things about all the, the amazing things they do, posting things about this is the way this should be, this is what you should think, this is what you should know, and you wonder, am I missing out? Am I, am I not doing this right? And it, 
and it shakes your confidence. Or you turn on this news channel and it's reporting one thing and you turn on that news channel and it's reporting almost the exact opposite. And which one do you listen to? Are you confident that that one's right and not that one? That their information is accurate and true? How do you know? And therein lies the struggle. And the struggle is real. The struggle is that what information in this unprecedented era of of information coming at us constantly, which, what of that information is, is true and what of it is, is useful? And there's a reason why that's an important thing to consider. And the reason is our first takeaway this morning. It's because the devil loves to misuse information. And he does that to undermine my confidence in all kinds of things, in my abilities, in my identity, in in all kinds of areas of my life. But he especially loves to misuse information to undermine my spiritual confidence, that is, my faith. And that's the world that Jesus' disciples were in. They had been confident that Jesus was the Savior, that he was the promised Messiah. They were confident right up until that Thursday night when one of their own betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And then the religious leaders broke every rule and every law and condemned Jesus even though he had done nothing wrong. And then the Roman governor sentenced him to death just to largely to keep the crowd at bay. And in 18 hours, 18 hours, less than one day, everything that they thought they knew, poof, gone. Everything that they were so sure of, so confident in, was was upended. And then Sunday morning, some women from their group had gone to the tomb, and they they came back and said, it's empty. Jesus' body wasn't there. And and Peter and John had run and and seen as well with their own eyes. And and then Mary Magdalene showed up and, and said, hey, I talked to Jesus, and he's alive. And from a logic standpoint, it made no sense. And there was one thing of what they, were, what they were absolutely sure of, and that's that they weren't sure of anything. And then we heard from John 20, right? We just read those Bible verses, how Jesus appeared to his disciples in that locked room, right? They were, they were afraid, and so they, they hid themselves away, and yet Jesus appeared and stood there, and he did so to give them confidence. He really, truly is alive. He showed them his hands and his feet, his hands and his side, but, but one of them, Thomas, he wasn't there, right? And Thomas wasn't just uncertain, wasn't just unsure, he was He was confident. He was confident that unless he actually put his fingers where the nails were in Jesus' hands, uh uh-uh, doesn't matter how many people tell me, I'm not going to believe it. And so a week later, Jesus appeared again, and Thomas saw, and Thomas believed, and he believed what we believe, and that's that Christ is risen. See, it was important that those disciples be confident of their salvation, be confident 
that Jesus was alive, be confident that he had died and risen, that he had done what he said, because their faith was going to be tested. What they were so confident of was going to be put under some pressure. And it's one thing to be confident. It's another when what you're confident of is under attack. See, in just a a few chapters before we're we're about to read this morning, Peter and John in in Acts chapter 3, they had been going into the temple courts and they were going to pray. They were going to worship. And, And as they walked in, there was a man laying there. And he had been laying there for years. He had been born paralyzed. He had never walked a day in his life. And so the only way he could make a living survive was to sit there and beg for money. But instead of of giving him a couple of bucks, Peter looked at him and said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And the man jumped to his feet and began to walk. And as the crowds walked in to, to go to church, they saw this guy that for probably decades has been laying there. And he's walking and they go, what in the world just happened? And it gave Peter and John an amazing opportunity to tell people, Jesus died and he rose. And this is what that means. And many people believed. But there were a few that didn't really like that Peter and John were teaching about Jesus. And it was those Jewish leaders, right? And they, they hauled them, they had them arrested. And the next morning they stood trial before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, the same group that conspired against and condemned Jesus. That had to be kind of scary, didn't it? Because it's one thing to be confident, but it's another thing when what you're confident of is under attack. But Peter and John, they told them boldly, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way to eternal life, that he died, but he rose from the dead. He is the Savior who paid for the sins of the world. The Jewish leaders, they didn't really like that message. And so they, they told those two men you need to stop this teaching. Not just teaching about Jesus, but you need to stop saying his name. We are giving you a direct order, no more. No more using the name of Jesus. Because they had thought that when Jesus died, literally, that was going to die with him. But it didn't, because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That didn't happen, though. The disciples, they, they kept teaching and preaching about Jesus. They, they kept proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Savior. He's alive. Because Jesus had sent them out as his messengers. He had sent them out with a mission and a purpose. And it was to proclaim him. And that's what brings us to our, uh, the beginning of our sermon text this morning from Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Now, this is kind of a lead-up, right? But this is an amazing thing. God enabled his, his disciples, his messengers, to not only teach and preach about him, but he enabled them to, to perform miracles, to heal people. That's a good thing because it was, it's one thing to be confident. It's another thing to be confident when you, what you're confident of is, is under attack. And we see that in verse 17. Not everybody was happy about this. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles 
and put them in the public jail. See, the disciples, they'd, they'd poked the bear, hadn't they? They'd been given a direct order. It was really simple. Stop teaching about Jesus. And they didn't. In fact, not only did they not stop teaching about Jesus, they did it in the temple. Right there where these guys worked. But that's where people came to learn about God. And so they weren't going to stop proclaiming the good news of God. But the Jewish leaders weren't happy. And it's one thing to be confident. It's another thing when what you're confident of is under attack and when you might die for it. Now, we really don't know exactly what that's like in America. By God's grace, we live in a country where we get to gather together and we get to proclaim the message of whatever we want. No one can stop us from teaching and preaching the name of Jesus. And so while we gather here, it's easy to be confident, right? To be filled, as we're filled with the, the Holy Spirit through the working of, of God's word, that we're confident of what God says. And we pray to him and we, we sing his praises and, and his goodness. But then we're going to leave here in just a little while. And tomorrow you're going to go to school or go to work. And some of those places, the name of Jesus isn't really welcome. Some of those places, Jesus isn't welcome at all, and you'll get in trouble if you bring it up. Some of it, it's just kind of, shh, we just don't talk about that here. Keep it to yourself. And you probably know, I think we probably all know somebody who, who isn't content to just, you know, I don't really, that's not really my thing. I don't, I don't really believe in Jesus. They're not content to just stop there. They their goal is to, to poke at your faith, to try to undermine it, to try to discredit the Bible. They're the ones who like to go, oh, where's your God now? Anytime anything happens that isn't perfect and easy and good in your life. And it's one thing to be confident, but it's another when your faith is under attack. I just saw recently that one of the most prestigious universities in our country invited a speaker to come in who publicly, and not all that long ago, said that if you believe in the flood and the biblical accounts, and if you believe and you find your morality from the Bible, that you should be locked up. And he was given a public forum. That's not what he said in that immediate moment. But can you imagine being a, a Christian at that university? Because it's one thing to be confident. It's another thing to... Be confident when your faith is under attack. So what do you do when you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work? What do you do when, when Jesus isn't welcome where you go? What do you do when your, your classmate or your coworker openly bashes Christians? What do you do when your, your friend laughs at your faith? Do you waver? Maybe just, just a little bit, right? Do you start to lose a little bit of your, your confidence? When you, when you sit at home and you flip on the TV and there's another Discovery Channel talking about how Jesus didn't really die or he didn't really rise or the Bible, this part isn't true or that part isn't true. And maybe you wonder, do they know something I don't? Because it seems like they're pretty smart people. Do I really have it right? How do I know? 
How can you be confident? Because it's easy to be confident, but it's another thing when, you're conf- when your faith is under attack. The answer, the solution, what do you do when you are faced with the confidence-shaking reality of living in a world that's opposed to Jesus is you go back to the place where that confidence came from in the first place. You go back to the Word of God. The Word that God uses to work faith in your heart through His Holy Spirit. The Word that God uses to continue to build that faith, that spiritual confidence. It's our second takeaway this morning. God gives me everything that I need to be confident for my faith and my salvation in His Word. See, in His Word, Jesus, God shows me that the, He's the perfect creator, all-knowing, eternal God. And He shows me what His standards are. And He shows us how far we've messed up, how far we've fallen short. He, he shows us how, how much we've missed the mark how badly we've failed to live and love the way that he wants us to. And he shows us how what we deserve, that results in eternal separation from him. But he also shows us very clearly and very often how he loves us. That he loved the whole world so that he sent his son He shows how he sent his son not just to to see what it was like here in this world, but to live in our place. How Jesus came to to live for us perfectly and to die in our place on the cross, to suffer what we deserve, to take our sins away. And he shows us how Jesus didn't stay dead but that he rose from the dead and his victory means absolute certainty for you and for me and for all who believe in him. Because you can't come back from death if you haven't conquered it. And if you haven't conquered death, sin has power over you, but Jesus showed. He proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. He lives. And because he lives, we have certainty. We have confidence in our forgiveness and in our salvation. But then you get the words like the end of of John 20 that we read this morning. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And you go, God, come on. I'd really like to know those, right? They might help me be a little more confident. But there's a reason that God doesn't include them. And here's why. It's the very next verse. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, the Bible isn't intended to be an all-encompassing book of, of information that may or may not be useful at some point in life. The Bible is intended to give you everything that you need for your faith so that you might be sure, you might be confident that your sins are forgiven, that you are going to heaven because Jesus died and rose for you. God wanted his disciples to have that same certainty, and so he, he showed them in a little bit different, a, a, a little bit more miraculous way. We pick up in verse 19. His disciples are in, the, in jail, right? 
But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell people all about this new life. God sent his messengers, his disciples, out, right? Out just into the temple courts. Go and proclaim what? How rotten those Jewish leaders are, that they can't get over it, that they continue to persecute the name of Jesus. Go rip them to shreds and roast them publicly. Nope. Go proclaim a a message of morality and and a message of, of you must and you must not. said, go and proclaim everything about this new life. The new life that that they had because Jesus is alive. A a new life of of hope. A new life of of purpose and meaning. A new life of peace. It's a new life and the same new life that, that God has given to you and me. So let me ask you, Do you have the confidence to do that? Because it's one thing to have confidence in what you believe, but it's it's an entirely another thing to have the confidence to speak up, isn't it? But here's the thing. God has given you everything you need to speak up. He's given you the confidence to be his messenger. He wants you to have the confidence, not that you know every Bible passage from, from, from memory and, and that you've you know, prepared for every possible question or challenge you might get. God wants you to be confident and to speak with confidence about the new life that's yours. Because we live in a world, you are surrounded by people at home, at work, in your neighborhood, in your classroom, people that are hurting, people that are depressed and anxious, people that are comparing, and people that are despairing. They are people that are looking for hope, for a a sliver of peace, for a glimmer of joy. And, And what do you have? You have all of that because of Jesus. Because you have life in him. And so he wants you to go and and to speak. To speak about the hope that you weren't sure you'd ever have. But let me tell you, let me tell you about it. The peace that that you can't even fully describe. but, But you couldn't find it in any other way no matter how hard you tried. The meaning and the purpose that you have in life that that just gives you a, a sense of renewed energy every single day. See, here's our, our, our next takeaway. It's what God wants us to remember, that you and I have a new life because of Jesus. And God gives you and me the confidence to tell others about it. Look how that played out then for those first disciples. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, 
We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness for their sin and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. This is almost comical, right? They go to to get the disciples out of jail and bring them to stand trial and they get there and the doors are locked, the guards are standing there but there's nobody inside. <laughs> what happened? Where did they go? How'd they get out? Jailbreak. Oh, they must have run for the hills. And then somebody comes in and goes, hey, aren't those the people you're looking for right here in the temple teaching? Doing the very thing you said not to do again. And so they go and arrest them again and put them on trial. And the Jewish leaders are like, hey, we gave you one thing. One thing. Don't talk about Jesus. And look at the response. We must obey God rather than human beings. See, the apostles weren't going to be stopped because they had a, a much bigger mission and purpose. They had a mission and purpose to tell people about this new life, that Jesus is alive. Do you have that boldness, that confidence? To be able to stand up and say, you know what? I answer to a higher authority. I'll be honest, I pray for that every day. I pray that I would not be influenced or persuaded or pressured. Whether it's by somebody in authority or, or by uh, political correctness or by popularity or anything else. But that God would give me wisdom and love to just simply know his word and share his word. Nothing more and nothing less. That God would give me the wisdom to not avoid the difficult subjects, but to use, to be filled with his love and sharing them and teaching them. And that everything would be centered around the name of Jesus and the new life that is ours because he lives. That's my prayer, and it's my prayer for you as well. And it's summed up as our last takeaway this morning. God, give me the confidence to share your word, even when it isn't easy. Because we live in a world that doesn't love Jesus, but it desperately needs him. We live in a world that, that longs 
for the new life he gives, for the freedom from guilt and shame, for the, the peace of his forgiveness, for the purpose and joy in life. And that is yours. Dear friend, dear Christian, who knows that Jesus died and rose for them and is confident of that, that new life is yours. Live confident of that every day. And don't keep it to yourself. Let it come out of, of everything you do, of everything you say, that you might reflect that Jesus lived and died for you and that he lived and died for your neighbor, your coworker, your family and your friend, so that they too might know that new life, that you might be confident to share it and to show it. Amen.